Blog Talk Radio. Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. I'm your host, Pop Rock Painter Jamie Rocks, and this is the big show. You found it. I sure I'm glad you did. Hey, I'm super excited tonight. We've got a fantastic guest. Um, she was the uh, director of photography. Very important, and we're going to have, if you don't know what that is, well, you will after the show. We're going to explain what that is in the in the cinema world. Um, but uh, this, she was the director of photography of this new movie, uh, which drops June 2nd, I believe it is, and um, yeah, June 2nd, coming up, coming up. Uh, it's one of my favorite films so far of the year. It's called SMA My Love, and this is a thriller, although I've seen it listed online some places as horror, I, I guess, um, but to me it's more of a, a thriller. It's, it's a, uh, a slow burn, just harkens back um, to, to uh, I don't know, like the old Hammer movies and stuff kind of reminds me a little bit. Very cerebral. And I don't want to turn anybody off. I don't, I don't know why this would be a turnoff when I, if I say, like, art film. It's weird. It's weird. It'll get your gears going in your uh, noggins there, folks. I like that, though. I like art that makes you think. And, um, and this is one of those uh, films. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm really honored and excited to talk to director of photography, um, Miss or Mrs. or Ms., I'm not sure, uh, Fletcher Wolf. Fletcher, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing great. Doing great. Great. First off, Glad to be here. You've, got the, you've got a great name. I love the name Fletcher Wolf. I mean, you either got to rob banks or be in pictures or something with a name like that. That is fantastic. <laughs> Thanks. You know, yeah, my my dad. Thanks for that. Well, I'm telling you, I'm t- maybe a vampire. That would that's a good vampire. Anyway, oh, I, I want to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like like living in some big giant house, tons of money, and, and up to no good. Maybe uh, we don't know. It never comes out in the daytime. Um, not pitching a movie, I promise. I'm not yeah. in the movie business, but you are, and I wanted to. I was curious because. For those of my audience uh, listening who aren't familiar with a uh, director of photography, or um, as I understand it, it's the person that makes the film look good, right? I mean, yeah, essentially, it's it's a collaborative effort for sure, but we're 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 certainly a big piece of that puzzle. Nice, nice. Now. Were you always into visual arts as a kid? I mean, did you know that, you know, movies and photography and, and film and, and, you know, showbiz and all this was where you were headed when you were a, a young lad? Yeah. Um, I was very into theater as a kid. And in high school, I was into theater and photography, got very, very deep into film photography. And when it came time to apply to undergrad programs, I realized that cinema is the two of those combined. And I was like, well, hot dog, that sounds great for me. So I applied 
to film school and, and got in. And um, luckily, you know, I, not a lot of people get lucky finding what they want to do, you know, in undergrad, but I did. That's very true. The amount of people I went to undergrad school, uh, the amount of marine biologists, um, oh, my God, everybody, <laughs> everybody, um, I think one out of maybe 100 <laughs> actually went into that field. Um, yeah. Matt, Is that what you studied? No, no, no. I was always an art kid, but I I dated a lot of communications uh, people, <laughs> you know. Um, that was yeah. the big catch-all when I was uh, in school. Long time ago, Fletcher. A long time ago. Um, oh, my gosh. The mind world that just how, how long ago. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know how it happened. Um, I feel like I've fallen through a time portal or something because it doesn't seem that long ago to me, but it's definitely yeah. pre-internet, I get that. you know, mm-hmm. pre-internet. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, so you went to school and everything and, and everything worked out. And then, uh, no, did you grow up? You're from the East Coast. Um, did you grow mm-hmm. up on the East Coast or did you relocate? How did um, that land? I grew up. Yeah, yeah, I, I I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, I grew up in Boston, and you know, relocated mm. to to New York. Uh, so I think you know, haven't strayed that far from home. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I've always liked the hustle of New York, and and you know, I think because you know, some of my love of cinema did sort of stem from theater. You know, of course, when I was a kid, New York was the oh, place yeah. to be. You know, it was always my dream. Absolutely. I went to college in Boston. Um, lived in Dorchester. Used to ride the red line a lot. Um, Dot! <laughs> you lived in Dot! <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, the funny thing was, is I grew up in Metro Detroit, and I got accepted to school. My, my friend who was moving with me, she got a job transfer, John Hancock World Headquarters there. And um, so when we moved, uh, we had never been to Boston, either of us. So we drove out there, you know, and we looked at maps and in newspapers, and I'm like, wow, the rent on Cape Cod is, like, super cheap in the fall and winter. Why don't we just live on Cape Cod and drive into town? And we thought that was possible. Um, we didn't realize how long of a drive that would have been. Uh, yeah. So we found that out quickly. And uh, we moved we, we moved to Dorchester, and we didn't – it was funny because I, I remember we rented this place, and the guy came to turn the gas on, like the gas man, you know. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm uh, American Indian, Native American. My friend, you know, looked like uh, she just landed from Norway or something. Um, and he's like, you guys are in the wrong neighborhood, you know. And coming from Detroit, we found that very weird because we had lived down in the city, down in the, in the hood of Detroit for so long, we didn't know any better. We just went where we felt comfortable, you know. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, the end of rent was cheap, cheaper. What was what we could afford. Um, God, we were poor. But um, yeah, we didn't know any better. And we're like, what are you talking about, man? Don't be racist. Get out of here. You know, turn the gas on, then get out of here. And yeah. so he did. And you know, then we started looking around because we were aware of it then, and we're like, yeah, it's all Vietnamese or black people living by. <laughs> That's the Asian people. That's it. <laughs> And we had never had any problems. Um, everybody was really cool to us. We lived there a long time. <laughs> had no issues. No issues. 
It was weird, though. Yeah. It was weird. Boston's a weird town in that um, I had never uh, knew that in the wintertime you needed to get a lawn chair if you were going to dig your parking spot out of the snow to hold it. Um, <laughs> and I'm very... I've heard a lot of cities do that. There was a, a, a recent episode, I think, of Fresh Air about parking and how uh, prevalent that that is in all in like most American cities. Yeah, it's it's you know I, I we had never done it. And, I don't know, Detroit snow was weird. It, it, <laughs> Detroit was. I understand all of my friends. You know, I'll I'll mention on the show. People ask, you know, where'd you grow up? And you tell them and. They're like, Detroit's nice now, Jamie. It's changed. There's no burning cars randomly. It's 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 great. <laughs> um, it, it was when I lived there, let me just say it was Mad Max Thunderdome. That's how it was. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, it was pretty rough. But but it's it's funny, when I moved to California, I remember uh, I was living in San Diego. This was after college. And somebody asked me, they're like, what are you doing this week? I'm like, I'm going to this party in, in down by the border there, a little town called Chula Vista. And uh, they're like, oh, that's a rough area. I'm like, man, you a rough area in San Diego, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. Know, come on. <laughs> I cut my teeth in Boston, baby. Haven't you ever seen Goodwill on <laughs> <laughs> So that's cool. So you had to – I tried to move to New York. I made it like two and a half, maybe three months Um and I just couldn't afford it. It was, uh, oh man, it was. Hustle bustle was right. It was, it was. It For was sure, rough. yeah, yeah. The the hustle is is real. Uh, I've been here, been here almost twenty years now, and um, wow. I think you know, I think the fact that pay. I mean, the current you know the current economic issues with the film industry and the writer's strike aside, generally, uh, you know, the, the fact that pay in the film industry is typically higher than a lot of other uh, areas right. of arts is probably why, you know, we can afford it. And here's the thing is like with cinema, you know, it takes so many people to make movies, to make TV shows that you really need everyone to kind of live in the same place or near the same place, which is why there's hubs right. like LA, New York, Toronto, London. But it also means that those places are expensive. So like you really have to pay your crew a living wage to be near these production hubs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've heard so many crazy stories. Like I said, I'm not in the film business. Uh, my, I'm a, my day job, I'm a painter. I paint pictures of people and stuff. And um, mm-hmm. I, uh, but I've always hung out. All of my friends, my entire life, it seems, have been either in, uh, something, somehow in the arts, uh, usually music, or they're making movies or trying to or working on TV or something. Um, those people can always get you into a club. They had the best party now. I'm not really <laughs> kidding. They do, um, but they're fun people to know, um, and they generally buy art. That's the uh, the, the big secret there. Um, right, right. But yeah, yeah. You know, they, they like I said got a couple of dollars, got some folding money in their pocket. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and you know, that's just that's where you gotta go. Anyway, uh, very very cool. Now I had uh, had Corey Corey Choi. A director extraordinaire and uh, co-writer of uh, SMA My Love. He was on a couple weeks ago, and I, I watched the film, and I was just blown away. I was just blown away. And I was telling him, I said, man, the, the, the photography in this, the, how the film looks is its own character almost in this film. It, it just, I, I'm, I'm 
blown away by it. And he started just, oh, Fletcher, he likes you. He likes you a lot. He was singing your praises. Uh, we've been yeah, friends since you? undergrad. Yeah, we've been friends since, wow. since we went to film school together. It's been a long time. Um yeah, I mean, you know, from the beginning, he, he, you really, you, you hit the nail on the head. From the beginning, he wanted the woods, the forest that they're in, to kind of be a third character. Cause, you know, you've seen the film, it's just a cast of two, a mother and a daughter, mm. played by Stacey Wexstein and Audrey Grace Marshall. And they're phenomenal. But, you know, from the beginning, he was talking about how, you know, we needed to have the forest have a presence as if it's, you know, coming alive um, throughout the film. So I'm glad that that came through when you watched it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, because this is this is your business. This is what you do for a living, you know. Um, when a director um, or a filmmaker or whatever, whatever title they have, whatever business cards they happen to be carrying, um, approaches you for a project, you know, you get hired on. Do you guys, like, have, like, a sit down and, and have, like, multiple meetings or just go get a never-ending cup of coffee at Denny's and, and, and go over things? Or... Do they say, okay, this is what I want and whatnot, and you're like, okay, that'll be trick number 14. I know how to do this. And how does that all come, or is it different every project? It, it, you know, it does change from project to project, but mostly I'd say it, it's pretty much the former. Um, we, you know, it's my process with narrative. I mean, firstly, you know, as you said, a lot of people listening to this may not know what a cinematographer does, also known as a director of photography, mm. or a DP, which is what I'll, I'll say DP from now on, is what we usually call ourselves. No, I, um, whatever you want, whatever you want, Fletcher. Cinematographer yeah, yeah. sounds pretty pinky out and high end to me. They're all interchangeable, which I just wanted to explain what I mean when I say DP, because I'll probably just accidentally say it. Um, basically, we collaborate <laughs> with the director to design and achieve the look of the film. Oftentimes the director has some ideas of what their vision is, and then I consider it my job to work with them to flesh those out and so we can all you know, see these concrete images that are going to actually wind up on screen and that are going to fit together you know, to bring the audience on a complete journey with these characters. I, I like to start off with the path of the script where I'm taking notes about emotional beats, you know, whose perspective are we in right now? What is the scene really about emotionally underneath the words? You know, what's really going on with these characters? Stuff like that. And then I comb through that with the director. I ask them all these questions. I ask the director about these beats. And we we go through it and, and form a psychological and emotional map of the film and the character arc. And then that really informs the shot list. And then I find that shot listing is often the longest part of prep. For me, like usually takes me and the director two to three weeks to come up with the whole shot list. And then, you know, we're considering that that emotional map I was talking about, it informs what the camera sees and why. You know, like you're probably not going to have an omniscient camera. You're probably going to want to dig into how your your main character is feeling, you know, or are you observing people from further away? Choices like that, you know, all that informs what we're seeing and why, how close or far we are relative to the characters, how the camera moves whether we're going to cut away or not, um, you know, as well as, you know, the mood, the lighting, the color, the texture of the image, all of that, you know, is, is the creative work we do in prep. And then it's the DP's job to figure out how to achieve all of those things and actually get them on screen via camera, lenses, lighting, you know, and directing the crew as well to, to achieve all this. It's amazing. It's amazing. And every film, it's so important. It's so important. Doesn't it, it doesn't get made without that. Well, maybe, maybe, but they're not very good. Um, 
I mean, you, you just well, think of any innocent. You have to do a mumble horror. There's, you know, there's, there's places, there's, there's types of projects where maybe the look isn't as important. But, of course, you know, you might, it might not be as impactful. Right, right. Well, I was just thinking, I just re- recently rewatched uh, John Wick. My wife had never seen that. Justin <laughs> was on TV, so we were flipping through, and I... And I, and I, you know, this, of course, is after I, uh, I watched As I Made My Love, and I was thinking about what Corey had said about you as a cinematographer and whatnot, and, um, you, you know, what goes into all that. And I'm like, I don't know who did this, but this is amazing, you know, from the nightclub scene to the house scene to, to all of it, you know. Um, mm. It really is important, <laughs> you know, to convey it's saying something, you know. And uh, and you yeah. have to listen yeah. to it with your eyes. I I just I I dig stuff like that. You know, I, I think it's cool. I think it's very cool what you do. What, what a cool job! You know, that's awesome. I would be messaging everybody on my Facebook, going, yeah, yeah, look what I'm doing for a living now. Yeah, pretty good, huh? <laughs> Thought I'd be selling insurance. Come on, nothing wrong with selling insurance. That's what you do. We, we need insurance in order to make movies, so I'll, you know, they're important. It's a very collaborative art form. And now, folks, a couple quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. Listen to this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, www.jamierocks.us, www.jamierox.us. Hey, rockers. This is Stacey Lane Wilson, author and editor of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series. I have a new podcast that features interviews with musicians, artists, authors, filmmakers, and music historians. In Season 1, I interview Phil Toussaint from Ozzy Osbourne's band, Scott Crawford, the director of the Cream Magazine documentary, Lisa S. Johnson, the award-winning author and photographer of the books 108 Rockstar Guitars and Immortal Axes, just to name a few. The Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast explores the dark and mysterious and sometimes funny side of music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Enjoy on RSS or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Glittering amethyst, energizing citrine, colorful fluorite, the other side of the sun, Earth's treasures brought to light. Since 1999, we have offered a unique collection of hand-selected minerals and gems for every budget, for novices, collectors, and healers. Visit www.tosots.com to view our wide selection of offerings and use coupon code ROCKS, that's R-O-X-X, for 10% off your first order. Remember... T-O-S-O-T-S dot com. Earth's treasures brought to light. Hi folks, Jamie Rocks here. Hey, if you're a big fan of uh, historical, cool historical books, 
uh, like me, then you're going to want to check out our newest uh, show sponsor, Michelle Albion. Uh, she's a fantastic author. She's got some really interesting, cool books out uh, that you're going to want to check out. I'm a big fan of all of these. Uh, the Florida Life of Thomas Edison, The Quotable Edison, Quotable Henry Ford, uh, Quotable Eleanor Roosevelt, and, of course, The Quotable Amelia Earhart. Uh, Michelle's just very keen and, and very, very cool, um, and these are just very cool books. So check out her website. Uh, there's links to uh, where you can pick these up on Amazon and Barnes & Noble all over the place. Uh, MichelleAlbion.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-A-L-B-I-O-N.com, MichelleAlbion.com. Very, very cool stuff. Check it out, folks. Well, you know, you just don't get invited to as cool parties as this, you know, <laughs> picture business. Um, no, this is very cool. So let me ask you this. No, you know, when, um, so, so you sit down and, and you make this, this emotional map and whatnot. I mean, does, and then you get hit with the wave of budget and this is what we got mm-hmm. to work with <laughs> or, uh, among yeah. everything yeah. else. Oh, you got to reel it in you sometimes just, a little bit. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, I truly believe in asking the director, you know, what, what would they want it to be? If it could be anything, if budget wasn't a right. thing, if time wasn't a thing, what would we go for? And, you know, that tells us what movie we want to make. And then we often, you know, then we'll find a way to, maybe we can achieve that on a budget or maybe there's another version of, you know, that can say the same thing, but doesn't require a huge amount of gear, you know? Right. Right. I can so, yeah, we're always up against that. budget and time. Mm-hmm. And then him, like, putting up his, his fingers, his thumbs and pointer fingers, like, this is what I see in this now. I, he does seem very yeah. serious, though, and, as he should be, you know. He he seems, he's funny, but, but he seems very, you know, he knows what he wants, you know what I mean? So you better bring it. So. Yeah, Corey works. Yeah, I mean, to, you know, to see through, it's kind of a miracle that any film that isn't in the studio system gets made because there's so many moving parts that all have to come together and converge at the same time and it's often tenuous whether something's going to get made or not and with as I love which is you know with a micro budget feature it's it's really kind of all riding on uh, you know on a, a handful of people's shoulders and, and Corey you know right. had to work really hard for a number of years to, to get it made so it takes perseverance for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, you don't have Disney writing a check or so. I was just watching a thing. I don't know. It was this probably a year ago, I think I saw it. Some behind the scenes on the Mandalorian or something. They're like, yeah, we use this new giant green screen. I'm like, man, I know a lot of indie filming. But maybe they wouldn't be happy using something, a tool like that. Because look what they accomplished without it. And and that, to me, is like, ah, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool, you know. Um Maybe not so much when you're doing it and you're the one having to do it like yourself, you know, like, how are we going to do this? Um, but it's amazing. It's amazing. I mentioned when I was talking to Corey, uh, you know, that underwater screen or screenshot, I don't want to give anything away in the film. I want everybody to watch this film. I will say that. I think it's in the trailer. Um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, what a shot. What a shot. I mean, you guys are like making this movie. And you're like, yeah, let's go under the water. How hard could it be? Oh my gosh! You know. Jeez. Yeah, I've, I've done. I've done a. I had. I had done a bit of underwater work previously, um, but you know, it was all pretty small scale. 
Um, and we did try to, you know, we achieved the, the portions of this scene that we're talking about that are above water, you know, on location upstate. But, um, we, you know, we had intended to try to get the underwater shots there, but, um, you know, like having not, you know, not having like a ton of prep time or like a team to go out and like check how, you know, how clear is the water today? You know, it's, right. we kind of just came down to the fact that like the water was quite murky, um, you know, on location and it's just oh, yeah. working. So that was a pickup day, you know, shooting in a pool in a much more controlled environment where we could get the shots we'd envisioned and, you know. Pickup days are very important, especially when you have such a short schedule in the first place. Well, I was going to say, and Fletcher, you probably didn't want to get bit on the nose by a snapping turtle or something. You know, I mean, you know. We were in the the water. We, You know, we had the actress and uh, my crew, we had wetsuits on. Um, We had an underwater housing for the camera. And, you know, sometimes it's just, like I said, so many moving parts make a movie. It's, It's and you can, you can, if certain ones aren't there, you can, you can fudge it, you can make, you know, uh, compromises, but it is, sometimes one aspect of it is so not there, it's just not going to work, which in this case was, you couldn't see anything underwater, it was just brown. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So, well, you obviously are, you know, uh, cool turned up to 10, but you're also a professional turned up to 10. Let me ask you this. I had recently had a, a friend of mine, we were, um, I, I was going to go to this gallery thing, and, and she told me, she said, Jamie, I'll, you know, we'll go with you, her and her girlfriend. She's like, we'll, we'll go with you, but you're kind of really boring when you go to galleries because you turn into the Terminator. You just look at each painting, and you, like, scan it. with your. You just stand there, you know, looking at all. I'm like, you yeah, know, well, I'm figuring out what worked and what didn't, and, you know, I'm, I'm applying it to my own stuff. That's what I do. Are you the same way when you watch a film? Can you, do you have friends you can watch films with or are you kind of hard on them? <laughs> are you like, mm-hmm. ah, they could have done this or they could have done that? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I do, I do love watching films with fellow filmmakers because afterwards we do get to, you know, do exactly what you're saying. Sort of break it down and talk about what worked first and what didn't. And I, I love that part of, of um, watching films. But I also do, you know, I, if, a, if a movie's working, then I'm in there with with a, a good level of suspension of disbelief because I'm just fully invested in the film emotionally. Mm. Um, but, of course, I can't help, you know, I can't help seeing sort of ways it was made. But ideally, that's not really taking me out of it. And um, and I try not to not to say these things out loud while, you know, while watching a film. But right. um, I think it ruins it for everyone, including me. You know, I miss lines. But... But a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who's a preschool teacher, you know, not, doesn't work in cinema, um, got to a point where she was like, I can't watch movies with you guys anymore because, like, I, you know, you just, she's like, I just want to enjoy when Harry met Sally. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are talking about how things are more raying or, you know, like something. Central. Right. So she, uh, she took a break from watching movies with me for a little while, but we're, well, we're back you on know. <laughs> It happens. And it's not like we set out to do that. We're not mean people or anything. Or we're not. And I usually don't trash things that I see. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I'm not like, oh, that painting sucks. You know, blah blah blah. They should have done it this way. No, it's not like that. It's wow. Usually, 99% of the time, it's like, 
wow, I can never get rain to look. Rain is hard to paint. I can paint ocean waves. I can paint space, you know, scenes. Rain is hard. Hands, everybody complains about hands. I'm like, hands are nothing. I can paint a hand on a Tuesday morning. Rain is hard for me. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, wow. I can imagine. I can't paint anything. And that's, I mean, <laughs> wow. So usually um, what I'm doing. Yeah, I agree with you that we're, yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, usually what I'm doing is trying to figure out how the hell they did it and how they made it look 100%. so bad. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, it's, yeah, it's an appreciation. It's not like a picking apart. It's an appreciation of, of what it really takes to make that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have an independent filmmaker friend of mine, and I had never thought about this. And he had mentioned to me one time, we were kind of BSing, and he said, I love, he loves getting uh, DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff of, um, because he likes, you know, he has a, a his film room is floor to ceiling of, of DVDs and Blu-rays. But, to, but what he told me is he said, I like watching the director's, um, they usually have like a director's commentary or, or one of the cinematographer's commentary mm-hmm. uh, after the film. And he goes, I take notes. He goes, that's like a free class for me on what worked and what didn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. what was hard to do. Uh, and I, yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Don- yeah, I agree. The, the, I feel like, you know, DVDs with their, with their behind-the-scenes stuff, sort of the dawn of uh, most people have, anyone who didn't work in this industry already, having access to how things get made. And that, you know, then segued into the Internet and the digital cinema explosion and, and really made a huge shift in the democratization of, of who has access to, to, know, to learn how movies are made. Oh uh, yeah, very before it was secret. It used to be, you know, you had to go to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, and there were a lot of gatekeepers. A lot of gatekeepers. Yes, I remember when I moved to California. The amount of people I knew uh, that had, you know, you might meet people every day. <laughs> oh yeah, I just moved here. Gonna work in movies. You know, like oh yeah, and they're like yeah. As soon as I figure out how to get an agent, you know, yeah. that was the big secret back in the day. Nobody knew how to get an agent. <laughs> um, you know, and no, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know, so don't email me. Um, (laughs) Watch a YouTube video. That's all I'm saying. Um, And then you got to be careful doing that. Oh, man. Yeah. That's cool. So you were always into theater and uh, and then film and whatnot. When you were younger, were there a a certain type of film, a genre, or you just liked everything? Um, When... I mean, when I was really little, like a kid, I definitely grew up, you know, on a lot of like '80s fantasy movies. Um, okay. Willow, Dark Labyrinth, Crystal, Dark things Crystal. Like yep. Um, and those, those made a big impression on me, you know, in terms of like scope and grandeur, and like you know, building worlds where anything could happen. Um, and Nightmare Before Christmas was my favorite mm. film for a long time. Still is one of them. Um, and uh, yeah, that also just you know, it like builds an entirely different world that's that's fully thought out. Um, and then when I got into high school, I'd say a big turning or a, a very impactful film for me was *Velvet um, Goldmine*, which my sister showed to me at one time. Brilliant film. film. Yeah, right. I'm Brilliant. glad you know it. Um, sort of I'm telling you, if David Bowie would have saw that, he would have said, "You know what? Red hair is cool. Blue hair is better." Um, 
Well, they supposedly approached him and, and asked to use his music, um, but he said no. Oh, oh really? Um, which is fine because really? it's, you know, I love the soundtrack as it is. It's like every other glam rocker. Um, but oh yeah, placebo were great yeah. in that. Uh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I had their manager on this show a while back. <laughs> I was trying, oh, yeah. I was trying to work Velvet Goldmine into the conversation so hard, and um, I don't know. I kept changing the conversation. Well, it's a, it's a great film, and it was definitely eye-opening to me in terms of, like, the, you know, they're, they're not pretending that cinema has to be a realistic medium. Uh, you know, they're no. just, like, going for it and doing whatever is cool and fun and, like, space doesn't need to exist. You know, it, it's just a great film. Oh, and, yeah. Um, very influential to me. Oh, yeah, and, and Eddie Izzard is the, the kind of swarmy... Uh, you, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> you know? Oh, I yeah. loved it. I loved it. Uh, what a great I need to rewatch that. And folks, you at home should as well. Velvet Goldmine is a fan. If you're into glam rock, if you're into music, that's the movie, man. If you probably are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I, I, I loved that at the same it. time I was uh, obsessed with Hedwig. That was not the great one. Yes. <laughs> you know? I, um, just, I went through a phase. I, I went through a phase. Yeah, I'm on the opinion that Hedwig is um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is, is probably the best the screen adaptation of a stage musical. That's that oh, is yeah. my humble opinion. Um, you know, because Singing in the Rain was not an adaptation; it was originally on the screen. So let's we'll make sure that's clear. They're <laughs> they're <laughs> both at the top for me. Oh, Fletcher, you're awesome. You're, I wish you were, you know, I live in South Florida. I wish you were closer because you would be at every dinner party we had. Um, oh, my <laughs> gosh. We take over the TV. Sounds I'm like telling fun. you. Everybody's like, we're watching Hedwig and the Angry Inch again. We, You guys have played it 15 times. Yeah, but this time's different. Imagine it from this <laughs> perspective. True, yeah. true. No, I've got a long list on my letterbox of of, uh, of great films. And I, oftentimes friends ask me to, you know, friends who may not have a ton of time to watch movies, they've got kids or whatever, you know, I love curating right. lists for them. It's like, oh, you only have time to watch two movies a year? Okay. I'm going to make, a, you know, and I'll, I'll make them a list and explain why I think they should watch it and why it's a great film. And I really you were a good friend. Sharing. You were like the coolest really, I mean, fan ever. I, I mean, you know? you know, I think that I, 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 you know, would hope that, as, you know, as a painter, I, you know, you know, your friends could come to you and say, like, well, what, yeah, oh, what should I look yeah. at? What's... You know, I'll tell you a quick story. It was so funny. When I, I said, I grew up in Metro Detroit, and actually, I, I went to high school in a little town just north of Detroit uh, called New Baltimore, because, you know, I, I guess they heard, went to Baltimore and thought they could make it better. Uh, they didn't. <laughs> it was terrible. Anyhow, um, <laughs> I was at school. I was going to UMass at the time, living in, in Dot. And, um, but I was always into music. And I was like the weird kind of alt kid, you know, had the Robert Smith hair, the whole thing in high school. This was back in the 90s when I was in school. And so a friend of mine, she's like, hey, I'm doing a night, like a nightclub night. And I, I would love, uh, you know, your parents, I ran into your, your dad and he said, you're coming for a visit. I would love for you to DJ because you always knew what the cool music was. And now everybody is into alternative music. You know, they're, they're into what, you know, all the stuff you used to listen to and you can DJ. Mm-hmm. And I'd always, you know, growing up, that was kind of my dream. I, I, fancy, I, I wanted to be a DJ. That was the coolest job you could have. 
um, I thought then. And uh, so I jumped on the uh, the thing, you know, got all my CDs ready, came back. And at the time, I wasn't listening to the music they all liked anymore. Um, I was over Nirvana and all grunge and all that. Been over that for five years. I was really into uh, East German techno, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was playing all this. And they're like, this is horrible. What are you playing? <laughs> you know? Sorry, you guys are still buying. That's all I can say. Um, yeah, so I try. I try. It's hard, though, with art. Art is, you know, it's so subjective, you know, and, and everybody. With a movie, like, as me and my love, you watch this, and you're like, some people, I'm sure, some people, I'm sure, will say, oh, man, this is a slow burn. Slow burns aren't for some people. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, for us, that love the tension and the, and the, and the, that just sense of dread, which I'm going to say in this film, yes, script and whatnot that did convey that, but your job Fletcher conveyed that more than anything, you know? I mean, I think I, I appreciate that, but I, I would argue that it's, it's, it's the visuals in conjunction with the sound design. Corey comes from a sound design yeah, that's true. and, he really knocked it out of the park. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I got to see it, it. I was lucky enough to get to see it in, in a festival, you know, in its festival run. Mm-hmm. And those theater speakers, uh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was really like a, a very immersive experience. Um, so hopefully some of the listeners out there have like a great home theater with surround sound because it's, um, it's really amazing the, the dread he conjured with sound. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And now, folks, a couple quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. Listen to this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, www.jamierocks.us www.jamierox.us Metal Babe Mayhem is more than just an online store. It's a destination. MetalBabeMayhem.com carries over 150 rock and roll products, including clothing, jewelry, and accessories. Metal Babe Mayhem also offers shrine clothing and alchemy gothic jewelry. In addition, Metal Babe Mayhem founder Allison Metal Babe Cohen is a rock and roll journalist who supports local and national artists with rock and reviews, interviews, playlists, networking, and more. Metal Babe Mayhem is taking over the world one shirt at a time. My Love Shack Apothecary online shop has everything you need to build a special gift for yourself or someone who needs a little pampering. I hand make all of the products in small batches using only plant-based ingredients and therapeutic grade essential oils. Whether you choose one of my curated sets or want to build a custom gift set, My Love Shack Apothecary has everything you need to send a little sunshine to someone today. 
please visit us online at www.loveshackapothecary.com. That's www.loveshackapothecary.com. As well as online on Instagram and Facebook. Links are in our website. Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, ranked one of the top cancer centers in the nation for the last 27 years. The doctors at MD Anderson treat more rare cancers in a single day than many physicians see in a lifetime, and treatment plans are tailored to an individual patient's needs, allowing more comprehensive and thorough care. To become a patient, please visit makingcancerhistory.com. Aloha. If you have stress in your life or even anxiety and panic, I want to invite you to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast for a way out. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast is a relaxing and inspiring show, bringing you lifestyle changes to calm your nervous system and help you heal. Heal anxiety, panic, and PTSD for life. We bring you two episodes every week. There's no need to walk this path alone. Join us for a relaxing, informative, and inspiring time and start your journey out of anxiety panic. That's anxietycoachespodcast.com. Aloha. Rockscare, the online web shop of high-end luxury merchandise and products. All featuring original pop art paintings, from La Holla to Miami to London, www.merch.jamierocks.us. I'm an old man, Fletcher. I tell you know I tell young people all the time. I'm like, you're trying to watch or listen listen to music on your phone. Are you kidding me? No, man. Have a party, charge everybody two bucks at the door, and buy a sound bar, man. Just do something. You got it. Something yeah. other than the phone, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know, yeah. you know. Agreed. Agreed. Or go back it, to the theaters. I mean, you know, part of the, yeah. this existential crisis oh, in the film industry is that the, the economic model has fallen apart. No one's going to theaters. Streamers don't know how they're making money. The CEOs are all walking away mm-hmm. with bonuses and crying poverty to the crew that they're now, now not, you know, paying properly. Um, so it's, yeah, but, you know, it's, if people would uh, people would go back to theaters, I would uh, I would say a thank you for supporting our livelihoods, and b thank you for for support. You know, like literally, that's necessary for great cinema to be made. Because when it comes down to it, if the studios aren't making money on great movies, then they're not going to make them anymore. Um, right. And c- currently. You know, it's it's a strange thing that these days, you know, movies that win Oscars often don't make that much at the box office, um, which is not how it used to be. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Dune's a good example of that, um, you know, and it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good examples of that. I was at a at a dinner party and, and someone, you know, the old chestnut, they think they're so clever, you know. Well, they just Hollywood just keeps making the same film, and I don't understand why. You should ask your guests that, Jamie. And I said, I don't need to. I'll tell you why. You don't go see anything new. You go and exactly. see the same movies over and over. That's why they keep doing it, you know. 
Yeah. Money in the yeah. bank, baby. Uh, you know, if you yeah. Yeah. expanded your mind a little bit and went and checked something new out, yeah, you'd see all kinds of new stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of money being put into safe bets. Yeah, that's for the studio. Yeah. So people coming back to see the same, the same superheroes. Um, but it, yeah, it definitely limits. You know, it limits what what American cinema is going to make. And a lot of my favorite movies of the past few years, or actually most of them, have been um, productions from various European countries, various East Asian countries. Mm. Obviously, Korea, obviously, you know, is killing it. Um, and a big part of that is their whether it's, you know, some countries have national funds that actually fund films. Um, others, right. you know, they just currently have a film business that's putting money into great cinema or interesting scripts. Um, but um, that's, yeah, that, you know, it hasn't been happening as much um, here uh, in the past few years. Or even, so. even a, a surra- or an attached community. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had no idea. Now, I, again, my whole life, I've been painting for 20 years professionally, has, has been in the arts, you know. So um, mm-hmm. to say that I hang out with a few LGBTQ people would be an understatement, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the world I live in. You know, I'm definitely the minority. But um, that being said, I did not realize that there was a whole LGBTQ um, horror industry. They love it. There's a whole group that just loves, and they make some of the best, zaniest, craziest horror movies I've ever seen, you know? And I'm yeah. like, wow, I, I had no idea. And and they keep making them, you know, different people. And yeah. Because they have people to watch them. And, right, if you, you know, have an I audience. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I'm going to check that out. And the, 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 the funny thing is, you know, this, Esme, I think you, you – said, well, you know, yeah, it's a thriller, it's being called a horror, but um, I, 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 have, I didn't grow up as a horror fan, um, I think because, mm. you know, from the, pretty much the mid to late 60s through the aughts, you know, certainly like all of right. my formative years, the genre was largely very misogynistic. Um, oh, a lot yeah, of just like misogynistic, you know, body horror, you know. And I, I, it's didn't, not my, I did not want to that. Yeah, I didn't no. want to see that. It wasn't what, what I wanted going on in my brain, so I, I wasn't really into horror. But lately, obviously, there's been a huge horror renaissance. People are making really interesting things, a lot of interesting social commentary. So now I'm getting into the genre. And um, and you also make a good point about, you know, that, that interesting films are, st- you know, despite maybe a lack of, of big money going towards sort of great cinematic epics or even mid-range budgets, you know, horror has always been a genre that thrived in the low-budget world for, you know, for right. decades. There's always, you know, Halloween was a tiny budget for the time. Yeah. And, you know, it was a smash hit. So, like, it makes sense that people are still and always going to be making niche horror that has an audience in Dunkel because that's, that's sort of built into the genre. Oh, absolutely. I just rewatched Halloween. I hadn't seen it since I was a teen, you know, and um, I rewatched it um, one night. I was flipping through the TV and I was, you know, we're, we're like everybody. We've got 15, you know, different streaming services and everything. And <laughs> oddly enough, I'm still saying, no, oh, there's nothing on, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not true. There is, 
But I, I found um, Halloween was on. I rewatched it. And I'll tell you what, it, it messed me up. I never realized when I was a kid, yeah, Michael Myers ate that dog. <laughs> he killed and ate the dog. <laughs> I was like, no, not the dog. It's funny. Um, it's funny the things you realize on a rewatch after yeah, years. Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You mentioned Nightmare Before Christmas. I used to hang out, and I don't, this place is probably closed by the time you were a youngster. This was many, many years ago. Um, but all the, the cool art students, and, and we all thought we were cool, but um, a lot of guys in eyeliner, uh, we'd go to this club in Cambridge called Man Ray. And this, uh, this, oh, yeah. And I it's just reopened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, a good friend of mine uh, DJs there and stuff now. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was amazed when I saw it. Like, wow, they're still weirdos. I love it. Um, but I remember this this girl strolled in. You know, we were all in there standing against the wall, sucking our cheeks in, thinking we were looking cool. And this girl came in, and she had made um, a, a, you know, Zero, his dog from Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. She had made a purse, and she was carrying a Zero, the dog ghost purse. And I thought, that's a million-dollar idea. That needs to be on hot topics everywhere. That girl's gonna make a lot of money with that, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I thought it was the coolest thing ever. But yeah, that was the place, baby. That was the place. Oh my god! Yeah. I hadn't thought about that place once. Well, no, like you said, they reopened it. Um, I don't know. Everybody I know, they're all married now, or you know, live in other places. And I wish we, yeah, that was. The, we used to go there a couple times a week. Oh, yeah, man. It was so it, bad. Make, make a check. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It was so bad. <laughs> Everybody in art school, part of your grade, if you were in fine arts, uh, painting at least, is you had to present all of your paintings at the end of the semester and show, like, your jury, you know, like your improvement and whatnot. And we never did any of that. We just waited till two weeks before the semester ended and then, you know, didn't go out for a week and <laughs> knocked all these mm-hmm. out. Like, that's what we did. And and people today are like, where'd you learn to paint so fast? I'm like, school, college. <laughs> Procrastinating. That's, that's Out of necessity, yeah. <laughs> and those places would be just, there would be nobody there. It'd be a ghost town for the, the two weeks before the semester. Because we were all home trying to uh, stay in school. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's cool, man. Now, let me ask you this. As it made my love, it drops June 2nd. We're all looking forward to it. And, folks, don't worry. And, hey, just so you know, we have uh, Stacey uh, Wexstein coming on uh, not next – is it next week? It might be next week. Uh, I'll have to look at the thing. It's on the, our website, uh, Uh But, yeah, she's, it's either next week or the week after. And, um, and I'll be reminding everybody when it drops June 2nd. But I wanted to ask you, Fletcher, I want to see more of your – of your work. I, I looked at your IMDb and, uh, you know, so I can have a Fletcher Wolf film festival night, you know, which I plan on doing. Um, yeah. Cause there's just, you know, a lot of, I don't know these films, but they got great titles. <laughs> the girl is oh, in yeah. trouble. That's a oh, yeah. I waiting to happen. Like on that. I, yeah, I've been working in the industry for about 18 years now. And, and um, the first, number of those was as a first a camera assistant and then a, an electrician, at least a lighting technician. 
uh, Gaffer, which is the head of lighting department. So I, I worked my way up in crew. So a lot of my IMDb is stuff that I was I was an electrician or gaffer on. Um, but my work as a cinematographer can be found on my website at FletcherWolf.com. Uh, my Instagram is Fletcher underscore Wolf. Uh, Wolf has an E at the end, as you pointed out right. earlier, I believe. And um, and uh, I have a, a project I worked on um, premiering at Provincetown Film Festival this June and then at Palm Springs nice. called Thirsty Girl, directed by Alex Chin. And, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, a lot more in the future. And, and a lot of my work has, over the past years, um, as a DP, has been in commercial. So, you know, that, oh, that stuff okay. doesn't show up on IMDb. But um, but it's all, you know, it all informs the stuff we learn on commercials, the techniques we learn, you know, can inform our narrative work, um, which is, in the end, you know, I'm here to tell stories. So nice. that's what I love nice. to do. And I learned about you on your website that you volunteer at your local community garden. That winds my watch. I love it. <laughs> I do. It's right down the block. I can almost see it from my house. Um, nice. It's a, it's a great place. And, and let me tell you the most rewarding thing, I think, is is working together and building stuff together in community. And I mean, that's why I love working on film because, film, you know, yeah. a bunch of people get together to, you know, to work towards the same goal and make the same thing. And, um, you know, and I also get to do that on my block um, in the form of brick walls and compost bins and fresh vegetables. Nice. I love it. I got into gardening during the pandemic and have not looked back. Um, You've got a giant in your backyard. <laughs> I got to tell you, when I first started gardening, I was really it got to a point where I'm like, I need to make this less of a mowable space, um, just out of laziness, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, I'm working four times as hard with the garden, but uh, that's okay. There's no better feeling, especially when you have people over and you're like, you bring something out that's fresh from the garden. You know, I, I love showing off like that. I do. I love it. Yeah, um, and you, know. it, you can taste the difference, too. Oh, I'm telling you, keep those icebox tomatoes in the icebox. They're, they're no good. Grow your own, man. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. Last question, because I know I've, I've kept you a, a while. Uh, but real quick, I wanted to find out, um, with my musician friends, and this is something I've discovered with, uh, you know, there's a reason the Rolling Stones are still on tour, and it ain't because they need the money. It's a real good feeling. It's a powerful drug playing live, you know. With someone like you in your art field, when you turn on the TV or you go to a theater and your work is up on the screen, is it the same type of deal? Do you, like, geek out a little bit about that? I would. I think I I really enjoy hearing a live audience respond to a film, you know, whether it's some, if it's a comedy and laugh or, you know, maybe it's a cringe moment and people go, um, that's super rewarding. I, I think I, it can also be pretty stressful because, you know, if the, if the projector oh, yeah. isn't quite the right color, I'm going like, Oh, I'm like cringing. No, that's not what I intended. It's a look like, but, um, <laughs> but you also just have to, you know, in the end, the audience is the final author of the piece. You know, it lives in their minds, and 
you just kind of have to accept that when you share it with people, it's, it's going to take on a new life. And that's, even if that, you know, even it can be a little nerve wracking sometimes, um, it, it's, it's the whole point. It's why we make movies. Um, Real hard to so, do it. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you. My hat goes off to you, Fletcher, and all the other film uh, folk out there, all the filmmakers and the people who make it happen. I tell you, I really, uh, during the pandemic, you guys got us through the pandemic. I don't know how they did it in 1917. I mean, I I guess people just read a lot of books. Um, You know, we were all stuck inside, and what, everybody knows how to use a Roku now, you know, everybody knows how to stream, um, because that's what everybody was doing. For a couple of years, you know, <laughs> you guys yeah, are the unsung yeah, heroes of, felt, of that. Kind of felt like a lifeline, didn't it? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, yeah. uh, I was very impressed. Well, thank you, and I can't wait to see more. Keep and Fletcher, I, I don't think you have this problem, but if you ever do, you wake up in the morning and you're like, "Yeah, I don't want to do it today." I can't imagine you saying something like that, but if you do. Um, just remember, there's one cat in South Florida that thinks you're real, real good at what you're doing to keep doing it. Get out of that bed. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, keep doing it. And everybody, I'm going to, again, estimate my love. This film, like I said, it's one of my favorites of the year so far that I've seen. This is uh, just something that is so cool. And your gears in your head will be turning days after watching this makes you think makes you think and it's just really really cool i i really thoroughly enjoyed it keep doing what you're doing fletcher and um you know we'll keep watching thank you, it Jamie. thank you Absolutely. i really appreciate it thanks for having me on yeah anytime anytime you want to come on we'll we'll talk film we'll talk whatever we'll talk headwig i don't care um you are fascinating to talk to because I know you have so much downtime and free time, uh, you know, living in New York, making movies and stuff. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> even imagine. Um, <laughs> and you're good at electrics. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Fletcher. My, my DVD's not working. How do I do this? I imagine you get a lot of those calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This lamp keeps going out. Oh, I tried putting a new light bulb. Oh, it worked. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I do. I, you know, I actually enjoy fixing things, so I, I don't mind those calls. Uh, that's awesome. Well, very cool. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Um, hey, we, we'll be back tomorrow, though. Um, we've got a, uh, another really, a, a really cool director and uh, writer on tomorrow. Uh, and uh, another film that I, I really enjoyed, um, we've got – who do we have up tomorrow? It's, uh, we've got Terry. I can't I'm drawing a blanket as last name for some reason. What, what the heck's wrong with me? Terry Spears, that's right. And uh, this film I watched the other night, Jovi and Lou. It's a uh, God and Satan, uh, you know, the devil uh, type film. And uh, very, very, and they're having an interesting game. Uh, very cool film. Uh, so tune in tomorrow evening for that. Mr. Terry Spears, writer, director, producer. And this uh, episode, of course, uh, with Fletcher Wolf, will be converted to a podcast. We're going to push it out on all the social media platforms and on all the podcasting platforms. We're on over 700 and, I don't know, 20 or something like that. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, so that's 
So wherever you uh, download or stream podcasts at, you'll be able to hear this. Spotify, Pandora, all that kind of stuff. Anyhow, that'll be posted probably here in about an hour. And, um, you know, you can listen to it. You can listen to Fletcher over and over. That's what I suggest you do. Listen to it on Spotify and just hit repeat, you know, because you want to hear all the different nuances in her voice. And uh, it'll be fantastic. Uh, I'm kidding, of course, you know, but no, do what you want. Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow. Have a good one, everybody. And remember the world, even though it's uh, settled down a little bit, it still can be a weird place. Be nice to each other and be patient with people. That's all I'm saying. You don't want to wind up on a Karen video on YouTube, you know. Okay. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Fletcher. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good one. You too. This has been Pop Art Painter Jamie Rocks' Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. It has been executive produced by Jamie Rocks, recorded at his studio in Deerfield Beach in South Florida. All rights reserved by Pop Rocks Limited for broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. Tana Oli Pop Rocks Radio. Estás escuchando Jamie Rocks de Pop Rocks Radio. Manténganse al tanto. Hey, det här är Hicks från Sverige och ni lyssnar till Pop Rocks Radio med Jamie Rocks. Blog Talk Radio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.